Hello, hello. Welcome to Tuckered Out with me, Ami Tucker. Today, I interview Samip Malik, who is the co-founder and executive director of SADA, which he has guided from its inception in 2008 to its place today as a national leader in community-based storytelling. SADA, which stands for South Asian American Digital Archive, uses the power of stories to create belonging to the 5.4 million South Asian Americans by documenting, preserving, and sharing stories from the South Asian American community so that the struggles of past and current generations for equality, inclusion, and representation are not the same struggles we leave to our children, which is so important to all of us. I cannot tell you guys how much I loved this interview. Interviewing people like Samip are really the reasons I love this podcast. Look, this guy is out there doing the work, giving back to our community, and doing it with such love. He really deserves the spotlight and a big round of applause. So I hope you guys enjoy my interview with Samip Malik. You are the executive director of the South Asian American Digital Archive. And I mean, the first thing that popped out to me was your mission statement, which was using the power of stories to create belonging to the 5.4 million South Asian Americans. And I'm like, oh my God, that's what I want to do with the podcast. This is amazing. (laughs) Okay, so let's start from the beginning. What was the impetus? I I have an idea, but for really starting this uh, organization and tell me about the beginnings of it. I think just reflecting on what you just shared. For so many of us, myself included, uh, who grow up as part of immigrant communities or the children of immigrants, much of our childhood is shaped by us not feeling like we belong, whether that's, you know, in our communities or in the country that we were born and brought up in. And that's, a, I think, a fairly universal experience for so many of us. But when you're going through that experience, you feel so alone. You feel like you're the only one who's feeling that. And I certainly felt that. Growing up in Michigan, my parents immigrated from India in the late 1960s, early 1970s. And I grew up, for the most part, in Michigan. That's where I was born and brought up. And despite having been born in Michigan and, and brought up there, often felt somehow that I didn't see myself reflected in the, the American story and the story that I was learning in school that I saw reflected in media. And as I got older, began to question more and more about why that was, but more so began to make efforts, as so many of us do, to search for community, to search for belonging, and to search for our stories, to search for my story. And that's really what ultimately led to the creation of SADA as an organization. The recognition that what made me feel rooted and grounded was recognizing that my story was part of a larger story and that there were so many other people like me who have come before me 
who helped to pave the way and create the progress that now um, as an individual, I'm able to take advantage of and feel grounded in. Um, and so Sada comes from that, that sense both of what is missing, but the incredible power of what happens when you can create that for yourself, when you can feel like you belong. You know, one of the most amazing things is how much it's transformed me to feel grounded and then getting to see that reflected in the community that we serve and especially young people. You know, I have a six-year-old daughter. We were just reflecting on having children and knowing that my daughter is going to grow up in a world where she hopefully will not have to search for her story the same way as that I did or so many of my generation of our generation did. That's awesome. I love it. So when did Sada start? When did you guys form? Um, yeah, how long has it been? And then talk a, little, talk a little bit about the team that you've built. So Sada was started as an organization in 2008, although the idea had been germinating for some years before that. But that's really when, you know, we took the initial steps in forming the organization, um, which thought as an independent nonprofit organization. And um, at that time, I was living in Chicago uh, and thought as co-founder, her name is Michelle. We were both colleagues, actually, at the University of Chicago. But, you know, really through our friendship, the organization first started along with the third co-founder and Initially, we were all working as volunteers for the organization, um, dedicating our time to digitizing materials, collecting stories, and making them accessible to the public. But then in 2012, uh, kind of reached an inflection point where it just I was continuing to recognize how much need there was for the work that we we're doing, how much interest there was in what we we're doing, and felt like the only way for us to really establish the institution that our community deserves would be for me to leave my job at the University of Chicago and to begin supporting and working with Sada full-time. So it's at that time that I moved to Philadelphia and moved the organization here as well. And this is where Sada has been uh, based for the last decade now. And so for many years, you know, as we slowly grew, I was the only staff person for the organization. Initially, I was volunteering full-time. Then slowly we fundraised a little bit and I was able to pay myself a relatively nom nominal salary. But really because of the incredibly strong support from our community and so many people recognizing how much value there is to this work. And because of that recognition from our community, more and more investments from funders like the Mellon Foundation, the Ford Foundation, now I'm like we're just blossoming as an organization and are so fortunate that we now have a full-time staff of five. We actually recently moved into a, an office, our first office of our own for our organization. It's just a really exciting moment for us. Um, but in large part because of this like deep sense I have of what we're going to be able to build for our community. Oh, congrats on the office. I feel like that's just probably a moment for you guys where you're like, okay, we made it, you know, like we're legit now. Like <laughs> this, this is something, you know, just, just getting that space. Right. Yeah, I mean, so I always tell people, I know the number 5.4 million, uh, South Asian Americans, doesn't look big on paper, but we're such a powerful community, right? Do you get that feedback? Do you get like 5.4 million really? Like, is that a big enough group to think about? Yeah, I really appreciate you asking that question because I, of course, share that number 5.4 million. But I think its size and impact is lost on even those of us within the community. And so I've thought a lot about how do we communicate what that actually means. So one way to think about it is that if uh, you know one in every hundred Americans or more than one in every hundred Americans traces their heritage to South Asia, 
But even that, I don't think adequately conveys the size of our community. So another way to think about it is that if all the South Asians in the country lived in one state, it would actually be the 23rd largest state in the country. It would be bigger than South Carolina, almost as big as the state of Minnesota. You know, and so that's, I think, a helpful framing because when we're thinking particularly about how community stories are not being told, if you think about if all of a sudden stories of everyone in the state of Minnesota were to disappear, that in effect is what we're saying when we don't focus and prioritize telling stories from communities like ours. And so that's been one framing that I've been using lately to help communicate to people why it's so important and so and so substantial when an entire community like ours is erased from the American. Okay, I'm going to definitely copy and paste that because we got to look at the facts here. You know, we are one of the wealthiest minority groups, well-educated minority groups, and we are everywhere. We're in every industry, every area of the U.S. If I could add one thing about that, which I think also really important to highlight is how incredibly diverse our community is itself. Right. Right. Um, you know, we're not a monolith in any ways. And so, um, for example, I think something that I was very surprised to learn myself, and I think many people are as well, is that there's there are more than a half million undocumented South Asians of that 5.4 million, you know? Right. And so that is a very significant number of people who are living in precarious immigration statuses and who are impacted by immigration policies directly. And so... Oh, I think it's true, right? Like we often talk about how highly educated or how financially successful many members of our community are. But I think what it's also really important to remember is that when we look at averages, we miss out on the details of people's, of the impact on people's lives, you know? And I also think that that diversity of our community is so, so important to highlight. And what we really try to venture in Zada's work is ensuring that people within our community who are often the most marginalized, excluded from our story. I mean, to begin with, the South Asian American story is not being heard. And so really trying to think about how do we bring them to the forefront, make sure that their stories, their experiences are centered in all the work that we do. No, I know. And I appreciate you saying that, you know, I, you know, like, like you, my parents came in the late 60s. And I I think, you know, our families, a lot of our families have kind of that same story, but it's definitely not all, all 5.4 million, right? Like it's, it's a group of us that have that, but there are so many background stories on, of how people, South Asians came to the States. Um, and it, and it is important to highlight for sure. So I know you guys have a magazine, a book. Um, I was reading about the road trip projects, the community storytelling. Talk to me about some of those, uh, so, something, maybe a project you're most proud of or a recent project you completed. There's so many that I'd love to share, but yeah. I'll try my best to highlight just a few. Um, and if I think about Sada's work more broadly, I could kind of divide it into maybe two categories. One is that we work in partnership with our community to collect and preserve stories of our experiences. And so you talked about the Road Trips Project. That's a really good example of that. We also have a project called the First Days Project, where we collect and share stories from immigrants and refugees about their very first day in the country. Um, and this is a experience, a story that it doesn't really be collected elsewhere. And it was really through conversations with my parents and other community members that I realized how interesting, how pertinent, how important that day was. It was shocking to me as someone who didn't immigrate myself, but was born to immigrant parents, that even though my parents immigrated now, you know, a half a century ago, basically like 50 years yeah, ago, crazy, isn't it? they remember that day very, very, very vividly, you know, and I can barely remember what I did 
last week. Yeah. And so how is it, I thought, that someone who immigrated 50 years ago remembers like the details, what they ate, you know, the bus that they took. My mom talks about riding escalator for the first time. Yeah. And so now we've collected almost 600 stories of people's first days in the country. And it's incredible to see the experiences that people remember and what has stayed with them imprinted on their minds about that experience. Um, and, and that the first days project is an example. But, you know, really, these are story collecting and storytelling projects. The archive itself is another example where uh, now we've collected the largest massive stories and materials about South Asian Americans. That includes oral history interviews, includes newspaper clippings, it includes photographs, letters that people have sent to one another, dating back to the 1800s and all the way up to the present day. And those materials tell us so much about the richness of people's lives that often we don't get to learn about and hear about. And those materials in the archive are also the basis for all kinds of other projects, educational projects and outreach that we do. But, you know, the collecting of stories is one really important aspect of Sada's work. The other really important aspect of our work is working in partnership with artists and journalists and scholars and students, community members, to find ways to bring these stories to life uh, and to make them accessible to people, to make them understandable, to make them relatable. Um, so I'll share a couple of examples of that. Yeah. One is we have a walking tour of Philadelphia called Revolution Remix, where um, it's a walking tour that starts at the Liberty Bell and kind of winds its way around Old City. So these are parts of the city that many would consider the most historic parts of the American Republic. And what is surprising, and certainly was to me when I first moved to Philadelphia and we began working on the tour, was that there are stories of South Asian Americans in those very same spaces that date back to the time of Benjamin Franklin. In fact, one of the stories that we share on the tour is of someone named Sik Kisar, who was a ship worker who arrived in Philadelphia. And in 1785, he wrote a letter to Benjamin Franklin asking for his help. Um, so, you know, as you go on the tour, as you hear those stories, it completely changes your perception of Philadelphia's history and of American history and makes you realize that communities like ours and our community have been part of that story from the very beginning. And the other project that I want to highlight that you mentioned is a book that we published last year, actually now it's been two years in 2021, called Our Stories, an Introduction to South Asian America. This is a book that was specifically written for high school and college age readers, going back to you know what we talked about at the very beginning, recognizing that so many young people don't get to learn about their stories until much later in life. And so our goal is to get this book into the hands of as many young South Asian Americans as we can. So far, we now have 2,500 copies of the book in schools, libraries, and homes across the country. And I think it is a transformational experience to be able to hold a book in your hands that you realize is your story, that's your community story that you can relate to. Um, and that's an experience that I want young people to be having from the very beginning. Well, it makes you feel visible, right? Like you, you're mentioning um, about the walking tour and finding out about South Asians that were here, you know, way back in the day. It feels like a lot of that has gotten erased uh, through through the books and history telling. And so what you guys are doing is making us feel visible again, um, which is super important for our identity, right? I, I think my mom and dad would love to share their first day stories because they share it with me all the time. My mom actually, the first month, they, they moved to West Virginia because, you know, that's where Indians go in the 60s. And she made the front page of the newspaper for being vegetarian. And she's, she's so proud of that. <laughs> so I would love for her. I, I need to tell her to, to call you guys and, and 
he has like the newspaper clipping and everything. And I was like, yes, mom, you were famous in Charleston, West Virginia. It's, yeah. How can people get involved or help? Yeah, in so many ways. And I think the first step, um, if, if someone hasn't done that yet, is to visit our website, which is sada.org, S-A-A-D-A dot O-R-G. And so there's many, many ways to get involved, as you'll see there. One is to sign up as a volunteer. As I mentioned, this year especially, our volunteer group is focused on collecting stories for the First Days Project. And we've set a an ambitious goal of a collecting a thousand stories by the end of this year. So um, that's something that we're focusing on and, and need people's help to achieve, both okay. to help us collect the stories, but also... Like I was saying, if you have a story of your own or a parent that you'd like to nominate, um, please let us know so we can collect their story for the project. Certainly as a community-based and community-supported organization, an important way that we um, support the work we're doing is through donations from members of our community. And so uh, you can donate online at our website at sada.org slash donate. But I'm also excited uh, you know, that we're now in a position as an organization, especially as we're growing, that we also have jobs for people who are interested in working with us. So we're currently hiring a new program manager role um, with the organization um, that we just posted last week, and we'll be hiring more in the future. We also have an internship opportunity that's coming up. Um, so certainly going to our website, signing up for our email list, connecting with us on social media. Those are great ways to keep in touch. And there are lots of opportunities and ways to get involved, um, particularly as we go forward. That's awesome. I will definitely put um, your site on, on, on the notes and stuff. So let's talk about this upcoming year. I know you mentioned collecting a thousand stories this year. What else is coming up that you can talk about? Yeah. So two exciting initiatives that we're launching this year. I mentioned in the walking tour that we have of Philadelphia. So we're also in the very beginning stages of working on a walking tour of Harlem that focuses on the histories of connection between South Asian communities and Black communities in Harlem. Very and cool. there are scholars like Vivek Bald and Nico Slate and others who have written about this, but through collaboration with Sada, we're thinking about how do we once again bring these stories to life and make them accessible. And so in addition to the walking tour, also thinking about artist collaborations um, with musicians and visual artists and others that'll help you know, kind of bring this tour and these stories into the public consciousness. Another initiative that we're in the pro- process of launching is a focus on stories of building, of community building, of entrepreneurship, because I think it's just such a story that comes up and it's so central to our experience is recognizing that the things that we need as individuals, as a community, don't exist, and then creating them. But that can sometimes mean religious institutions or organizations, cultural organizations, businesses, or nonprofits or podcasts, right? We're like creating, we'd recognize there's something missing in the world, and we put the effort into, into creating that thing for ourselves and for our community. And so we really want to highlight those stories specifically. Um, and so we'll be focusing on this idea of community building and entrepreneurship uh, as, as a focus area. But in addition to that, we also collaborated with a mural artist. Her name is Mayanthi Jayawardena. Um, she's based in North Carolina. And she came up to Philly and painted this beautiful mural in her office. But as the work that Sada always does was also inspired by our community, we reached out to constituents and we asked them to share two things with us. One is um, a, a, like a plant or a flower or a tree that they associate with their family's place of origin. And the second is to share objects that they associate with their immigration story. So people talked about aerogram letters, or they talked about VHS tapes or suitcases or airplanes. And so Mayanthi painted a beautiful mural in our office um, that incorporates all the flora and fauna that people talked about, along with some of the objects. And then you can see behind me right here, uh, this is one of the accent pieces that she painted in other parts of her office. So, you know, throughout the year and, and everything that Sada does, 
um, you know, our community is kind of at the heart and the center of our work. And so um, that continues and, and will always be the case this year and, and into the future. Uh, just rewinding a little bit, um, the Strauman Museum was wondering uh, if you had heard about it. And then um, also if you guys were thinking about, is that an ultimate vision for you guys to have a South Asian museum in the U.S.? Yeah, so I ha- had heard of the Shraman Museum in Dallas and had been in touch with them a few years ago now, maybe five or six, and would love to know more if you know more about its current status. You know, as a digital-first organization, f- for us, I think, you know, one of the things that we really, and that, that I value so much, is the ability to bring people together in a space. And, you know, the past three years of the pandemic have made it so evident how meaningful, how important that is for all of us. If we didn't realize it before, we certainly no one realized it now. And um, so the walking tour and events and programs that we have that bring people together around our community stories have always been a big part of Zada's work as an organization for the past decade. But as time goes on, yes, they're certainly thinking more about how do we create those kinds of physical spaces and landmarks and institutions that continue to create opportunities for our community to come together. Um, and it's certainly part of what we've been thinking about and talking about internally. And and I hope that we'll continue to explore further going forward. As you were talking, I'm just imagining a museum here. Maybe it's because I had worked on one, but it just seems like that would be an amazing ultimate goal or, or mission or vision. As far as the Shaman Museum, I'll be honest with you, the vision and the idea of it and what they were trying to build was pretty amazing. Um, I just don't think it was the right team. That, that vision is something that so many of us, myself included, share because there's something really meaningful about knowing that there is a place that is specifically dedicated to your story and your community story. And I felt this really powerfully when we, we published the book a couple of years ago in 2021, because up to that point, you know, we've had events and programs and we've done things in person, but as an organization up to that point, hadn't produced a tangible object that we had created that we had brought to life. And when I first held that book in my hand, you know, I got goosebumps because I realized that that is something that we had dreamed about and then made into existence, you know. And as I see, you know, one of the things that we did when we launched the book was we asked um, supporters to take a picture of themselves with the book and send it in and to reflect on the experience, what it, why it was meaningful for them. And one young reader, you know, kind of reflected on how powerful it was to hold something in your hands that is testament to your existence, to your story. And that was really powerful, you know, and, and also just reminded me of why, as we all, you know, even in this conversation now, obviously we're having this conversation digitally and it opens up so many doors that there's no question about that, but why we still value so much the power of the physical, the touch, the feel, the smell of being with people um, and why that's so important to us. And I think once again, just, yeah, there's a reason that so many of us have that dream and that vision for our community is because it is something that has a special resonance and meaning in our imaginations that that we want, that we deserve as a community. And so um, making that into come into existence and doing that, like you said, I think it relies on, we want to do it well, right? We want to right. really make sure that when we create that institution, it is the institution that, are, that speaks to the best things of our community. And so um, I think we want to be careful and thoughtful and deliberate about how we do that. Right. Well, look, if you're ever in Dallas, I would be happy to show you the space they had marked, like they had bought this huge space in downtown Dallas to build this thing. Um, 
And so, you know, if I do hear anything about what's going on, I'll let you know. I, I really, I really don't know what happened. It's, it's kind of sad, actually. I was, it was an exciting project and the yeah. thought behind it was, was pretty beautiful, but. Now it's up. Now it's up to you guys, Samip. It's up to you guys. <laughs> okay, I want to rewind a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know you went to University of Michigan. You did the engineering mm-hmm. thing. Uh, good Indian boy, which is great. Um, and then I believe you went to India for a little bit to study history, um, and then to Champaign, Illinois, mm-hmm. uh, to master to get your master's in library and information science. Um, and then I know mm-hmm. you were also with the Ford Foundation. So. The engineering thing, I'm going to guess you did that because you are an Indian and you thought that maybe made sense or maybe the parents wanted you to do the engineering doctor thing. And and then maybe did you do a shift when you went to India? Is that what happened? I think, you know, for me, I was pursuing engineering initially because of my own interests, frankly. I mean, I enjoy math and science and was good at it, right? Um, but I also, even in high school or even earlier, I've always been interested in music and art and literature and history and politics. It was a big part of my life um, from, you know, from when I was young. And but, you know, when you I think you're right in that when you're when it's time, when you have to make that critical decision of like, what are you going to do professionally? Many of us follow the paths that have been, been tried for us before and engineering and medicine are certainly two of those paths that are common in our community. And so perhaps I was also drawn to that because it was a more known trajectory for one's life. Um, but, you know, I, even from very early in college, I think I had always known that um, my passions lay elsewhere, that I was most passionate about finding ways for what I do every day to be impactful on the world and to create positive change in the world. And so after college, I did um, go to India for a year, actually initially to start study Bangla because my family is Bengali and I spoke Bangla growing up at home, but, you know, um, wasn't fluent in the way that I thought, you know, I wanted to be. And so I spent almost a year in Kolkata um, studying Bangla and then came back to the U.S. And I worked for a couple of years then at um, a nonprofit called the Social Science Research Council and then went back to India again. And I think that was, you know, going back to our earlier part of our conversation, was a lot of that search for belonging that I was looking for, um, was wondering to myself whether I would feel that sense of belonging in India more than I did here, despite the fact that I was born and brought up here. But, you know, you never feel more American than when you're outside of the oh U.S., right? And totally. So when I was in India, I totally. felt very American. All, and all of a sudden, I'm like, America! Yeah. <laughs> Of course. So, I, you know, when I was in India, I was both felt and was reminded of how American I am by, you know, my family members and by others as well. And so then I reflected a lot on that experience of why is it that I don't feel like I belong here in this place that I was born and brought up in that's ostensibly my home and certainly didn't feel that same sense of belonging that I was looking for in India either. I felt something, I felt some connection, but not that sense of belonging. And so that ultimately is, you know, what led to the path that led to the founding of Sada and to the work that I am so honored to get to do every day now. But yeah, my work has always been, if I reflect on my career, I think my work has always been connected to the idea of how powerful it is to have access to information and how damaging and how challenging it can be 
when you don't know, when you don't have access to that information. So through Sato's work, that's information about yourself, your community and your being, the power of knowing and the power of belonging. You know, I, I reflect back on my relationship with being Indian, with being American. I never really thought about it until the past, until of having kids, really. And today I can say very proud of being Indian American. I think our generation first, first born here, uh, first gen born here is very lucky. I feel very lucky mm. to have access to both and feel pride for both and feel close to both. You know, I feel close to the Indian culture and, and of course being American. What was your relationship with being Indian growing up? Um, and do you have any pivotal stories from childhood, be that middle school, high school, that really help you identify as an Indian, whether that's a, a, a great story, like a story you're embarrassed about, something that really hit you. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm a little different. Like I mentioned, I was born and brought up in Michigan for the most part. But when I was eight, so um, we, my family actually moved back to India for two years. And so I spent two years, second and third grade in India. That was, you know, of course, an incredibly important experience for me, even more so now, I think, in how it's shaped my understanding of the world than I certainly realized at the time, where mostly I missed, you know, like McDonald's and peanut butter. But um, oh, now when I look butter. back on it, that peanut was Peanut butter is key to life. <laughs> <laughs> it was an incredible, like, shaping experience. Because even then, I had that very same experience of not feeling like I belonged there as a young person, as an eight-year-old, was made to feel often by the other kids of my age that, I wasn't one of them, right? That I, I was an American and I didn't belong there. And, and then after actually I came back from India, had that same experience re reintegrating into life here after two years. And so, although, you know, it's hard to know which experiences from childhood last with you. And now having a daughter, I always think about that, like which of these experiences she can remember. And then they was like her transformational shaping experience. But for me, that was such a monumental, <laughs> you know, uh, experience that it certainly has stayed with me and, and no doubt has impacted all of my lives in, in various ways. Okay. So fast round. First thing that comes to your mind, who would be your ultimate collab collaboration this year? Oh my gosh. That's so hard actually. I <laughs> Because my favorite collaborations, we've been so lucky to be able to collaborate with so many like musicians and artists who saw this work are the people that I didn't know about before we collaborate with them. Because I think especially, I mean, now if I'm giving just like a really uh, more thoughtful response, part of what excites me about the opportunity we have with Sada is to be able to support young artists and musicians and young people who I think are having those same questions that you and I had. Right. Um, and now as an older person, I get to support them through that exploration. And so yeah. I would say... Uh, the most exciting collaboration is the one that I don't know about yet. That's a good answer. I haven't had I, I haven't had that answer yet. So very cool. At the end of all of this, what do you want to be known for? I want to be known for building an institution for our community that brings people together and positively impacts people's lives. And if I look back on my time with Sada or my life in general. I really hope that that's something that I can do um, is to is to build things that make the world better. Who is your South Asian hero or heroine? Yeah, I mean, I, I have access to so many historical stories because of Sada's work. And so oh, yeah. it could be dead or alive, by the way. 
<laughs> the person. Yeah. I mean, it's not someone I would say is a hero, but I just am so moved by the adversity that people overcame through their lives. So, I mean, one really prominent example is Bella Singh Son, who was the first South Asian congressperson, um, who I think now people are beginning to know more about and recognize. But when I first learned about him, which was way after college, I was, my mind was blown. I was like, how yeah. could it be that this person who came here, he came here in 1920, though 100 plus years ago, uh, did his PhD, couldn't get a job because he couldn't become a citizen, basically couldn't, his life was restricted in so many ways. For 20 years, he worked as a farmer, despite having a PhD. And then finally, after that, became a citizen, didn't lose hope, ran for office, wasn't, won the election, but wasn't allowed to serve because he hadn't been a citizen for a year, ran again, won again. And then eventually, after that, went on to become congressperson. Like when you think not just about his story, but the stories of people of that generation who came here during periods of such incredible xenophobia, racism, anti-immigrant sentiment policy, like those are the people that I have to say are my heroes, the people who, and who are so instrumental to allowing us to live the lives that we have today. Like if they didn't fight those fights, our community wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. And so, yeah, I, we, I think we owe them a lot um, for their perseverance and their, and, um, their grit. The bravery, for sure. I, I always say that, even like just going to my own parents who came here. I'm like, just the bravery of them coming here and building a life. Yeah. And it's interesting, which can probably Perfect. be a whole other podcast. But I always, I, always, I always ask my parents, did you feel any racism? Did you have any of those experiences? And they both always say no. And I always wonder, is it, just, is it because they don't remember? Or were they not... Did they not perceive it as racism or did it, are they really, is it really true? Did they not experience any? I find it hard to believe, but in their minds, you know, they look back at those first, whatever, 10 years before we were born or even when we were growing up and they both will tell me, no, it's, it's it was totally fine. So I don't know. I'm very curious about, about that. Yeah. Name a few adjectives that describe Indian Americans today. Engaged, aspiring, and dedicated. All right, last one, Sameep, I promise. Throughout this whole process of building Sada, what is the one thing you've learned about yourself? I think the one thing I've learned about myself, and maybe this is also just coming with age, is that it's just okay to be me. That I think a lot of us, or I can speak for myself, I, you know, for throughout my youth, often felt an anxiety around, was I South Asian enough? Was I American enough? What does that even mean? <laughs> you know? And yep. one of the things through Sada's work that's been really revelatory for me is just how many ways there are to be South Asian American, to be Indian American, to be a human, and that all of them are okay. If you're being mm -hmm. a good person, if you're being kind and caring. And so I think that fundamental sense of peace with oneself that comes through knowing your story and knowing you belong. That's something that I feel on myself first and foremost, and which is why I know it's so important for other people to be able to have that experience and that feeling as well, especially for young people. It's a fantastic feeling, isn't it? Yeah, to know that you belong, to feel comfortable with your belonging. I think that is the search that so many of us go through, especially when you're young. 
and to be embraced for who you are and just to feel like, yes, I do belong. I know I belong. There's so many other people who have gone through that search and who have come to that same conclusion. Like, it's such a powerful feeling. Again, love, love, love what these guys are doing, what Samip has built. Please consider donating, participating, sharing your stories, sharing your parents' stories. Go to sada.org, S-A-A-D-A dot O-R-G. And let's get this South Asian Museum thing built. I think it's time, guys. As always, you can follow me at Podcast. TuckeredOutWithAmi.com, rate and review on Apple. Send me an email. Tell me if there's someone that you think I should interview. I would love to hear from you guys. All right, guys, that's it for today. I will see you next week. This is Tuckered Out. <laughs>